this is Yosemite Land, the Capital Public Radio podcast, where we look at how Yosemite National Park is changing and explore its future. I'm your host, Ezra David Romero. Please yeah, do an episode yeah. on how bad the traffic yeah, is. Yeah. That's park ranger Bud Miller begging me to write an episode about traffic. It's a response I got from nearly everyone when I told them I'm working on this podcast. It might seem trivial, but if you visit Yosemite in the summer, congestion is most likely an issue you'll encounter long before you even arrive. On a summer day, the line of cars and motorhomes at the gateways is so bad that you can wait hours to get in. And on the busiest days, many leave without ever getting out of their cars because they can't find parking. But this isn't a new problem. Before we go any further, I just want to say I gave two people the wrong titles in the original version of this episode. I've corrected that. While I was working on a story about Yosemite traffic a few years ago, I met Russ and Lori Albert. They were visiting from Utah. We don't really want to come back. We don't know if it's worth all of this. It's pretty crazy. Welcome to Yosemite Land. I know it's only episode two, and we're talking about something as mundane as traffic, but it's all-consuming here in the park. It's a nuisance to visitors, people who live in the area, and to rock climbers who spend weeks scaling cliffs here. Jordan Cannon visits the valley a lot. I hate being in Yosemite when I'm not climbing, because then if you're not climbing, that means you're on the valley floor having to deal with the tourists, the overcrowding with the parking, waiting in tremendous lines at at the village store. So we're going to start off in my little white Prius, which I know is super NPR of me. It's about 8 a.m., and there's already a line of 15 cars waiting to go through the Highway 41 entrance. This is the region closest to the Mariposa Grove of giant sequoias, which we visited in our previous episode. While I was waiting in this long line of like 15 to 20 cars, a ranger walked up to my car and tapped on my window. Hey there. Hello. Do you already have an entrance pass? Yeah, I have an annual pass. So you get to go around both lanes on the far right. Thank you. Have a good day. You too. That felt like sheer luck. She let me pass everybody because of an annual pass that I borrowed from my buddy. But gridlock is something that happens all the time here in Yosemite. More than 4 million people visit Yosemite every year, and most of them get here by car. Nicole Guerrera said the traffic jam she got stuck in here reminded her of Southern California. I will not be visiting here during this summer because I don't want to do the traffic jams. Nicole's mom, Kim Wiseman, drives a shuttle in the park and deals firsthand with traffic every day. If there's no parking, which is most of the time, you get here at 5 in the morning, you'll probably find a spot, but normally it's really full. It's not something you think you would experience up here in the woods, but it's just randomly very much L.A.-style traffic here. I want to say about six to seven months out of the year. For me, all this traffic taints the allure of Yosemite. It's less awe-inspiring now that I have to wake up really early to get a parking spot and maybe never even find one. But like everyone who visits the park a lot, we have our secret spots and maybe park at our friend's house. The Park Service totally gets this problem of traffic. Scott Gediman, the ranger we heard from in episode one, says they're actively working to improve things. He says there's about 2,000 parking spots in Yosemite and they plan on adding more, 
but not that much more. We can handle the four and a half, even five million visitors. It's the traffic, it's the congestion, it's the parking that are really not only impacting us for managing the park, but are ultimately impacting the visitor experience. The park's done a number of things to ease traffic, including moving parking lots and even building a traffic circle by the main store in Yosemite Village. That's the area where everyone tries to park. Today, the goal is not unlike what happened at Mariposa Grove, move cars away from nature and destinations, including the Merced River. The Park Service is also trying to remedy this congestion by having people ride shuttles. They remind me of the buses that take you from terminal to terminal at an airport. I avoid them because they're crammed full of sweaty people. If there is any space between you and the rear of the bus, then we are dealing with wasted space and we got a whole bunch of people still trying to get on the bus. Yosemite is also trying to limit the number of cars that enter. There's a network of buses called the Yosemite Area Regional Transit System, or YARTS, that bring people in. The price of a ticket includes the entrance fee, but most people don't use it because they're driving in with big families and a lot of stuff for camping. Right now, we see about 2% of our visitors coming into the park via the YARTS buses. That's Jamie Richards. She's Scott's counterpart in the Public Information Office. Earlier this year, the Park Service tried out a system where people could reserve parking spots. It didn't work out as smoothly as they wanted it to. A lot of people made a reservation and you know they maybe either didn't come or they came and found a parking space in a different location. By running a series of pilots and getting some good data, it helps us understand what needs to change. Jamie admits all these pilots are just a starting point. We don't know the final solution yet and there's not going to be one solution. There's going to be a wide range of solutions and we're going to continue to run pilots. So stay tuned for later this fall and late next year. But it feels like solutions can't come fast enough. And there's a catch. All these cars are causing harm to the natural world. I am so guilty of this. Being fed up with traffic in Yosemite and speeding up when it clears or I have a chance to pass a Winnebago. But the thousands of cars flying through the park are putting bears and other wildlife at risk. Ryan Leahy is a wildlife biologist in Yosemite. You're talking about 10% of our bears potentially being hit by vehicles each year. Let's talk about how many bears die in the park because of cars. In 2017, 23 bears were hit, and rangers know that four of those died, but expect many others did as well. This year, three bears have been hit by cars as of June, but that was mostly before the busy tourist season. In response to all these bear car collisions, Ryan's team created a website where people can see where all these bears are killed in the park. People visiting the website can also track GPS-collared bears, but they alter their locations so people don't go try and find them. Ryan is showing me the real-time tracker that he has access to, and honestly, it's pretty cool. You can see this bear traveled like 30 miles here to go back to where it appears like it's going to den. He can now immediately tell if a bear is getting too close to, say, a camping area or a road. When that happens, a team can go out and scare the bear away or trap it and bring it to another area of the park. Ryan hopes this means fewer midnight calls with a dented car or a dead or wounded bear. Hey, this is Yogi Bear reporting live from Jellystone Park. Since you're a little kid, you get driven into you, Yogi and Boo Boo. Yogi and Boo Boo is not what these bears are. So what we want to do with this website in a positive way is engage people before they get here 
hey, here's the real story about black bears in Yosemite National Park. Caitlin Leroney is Yosemite's lead wildlife biologist. She says people just need to do one thing, slow down. To remind drivers to do this, they've launched a campaign. The Red Bear Dead Bear program is a program where we put signs out when bears get hit by cars each year so you can see where bears are getting hit as you drive on the roads. And the intent of those is to get people aware that bears are getting hit, hopefully slow them down and make them be a little bit more aware. And Caitlin says they're going to monitor speeding and ticket more people in these areas where bears are often killed. It's important to note that Yosemite has worked really hard to curb the number of bear-human conflicts. In 1998, there were almost 1,600 human encounters with bears where people were injured or property was damaged. Today, there's less than 100 a year thanks to the Keep Bears Wild program launched almost two decades ago. And if you don't think bear encounters are a regular thing, check out this video a park visitor recorded a few years ago of a bear opening a car door with its paws. Oh my. Oh my god, I got it. Get out of there. Scott Gediman said that used to happen a lot. It was not atypical to have three or four vehicles broken into every night. We wanted to put the responsibility on the park visitors to store their food properly. But why were bears breaking into so many cars, tents, and homes? It's because rangers used to manage bears very differently. In fact, there were bear feeding areas and dumps in the park where people watched bears devour piles of trash and food. Bleachers were even set up. Here's Ryan Leahy again. Meanwhile, during this whole thing, bear conflict was starting to occur outside of these feeding shows. You're starting to have habituated bears, bears that have lost their natural fear. He says all that human interaction resulted in having to kill bears in the name of public safety. It also taught bears to gorge on chips and trash. In turn, they taught their cubs to do the same. So Leahy says, decades later, many of the 300 to 500 bears here still crave human food. To curb this, they created bear boxes to store smelly items like food and even deodorant. All this technology has helped reduce the number of human encounters. But bears still cross roads all the time, and people still drive fast. So there's still that problem of traffic and too many cars. Overcrowding isn't unique to Yosemite. It's just super bad here. What distinguishes the gridlock experience here in the park is how remote it is. Even when I'm in Yosemite Valley, there are so many people in cars, I often feel like I'm in a city. After spending a couple weeks in the park, I got fed up with parking too and wanted to find out who is thinking about solutions. The Park Service is doing their pilot projects, but is anyone else? I discovered these two guys who know a lot about traffic in national parks. Francesco Orsi edited a book called Sustainable Transportation in Natural and Protected Areas. If you want to reduce the number of private vehicles, a great way is to encourage people who come to the park without the car. And Tom Turrentine, who studies traffic and electric cars at UC Davis. You could improve Yosemite a lot if you took cars out of it. Both of them agree that something needs to be done about all this congestion. Tom rock climbs in Yosemite and researched traffic here. When that study was done in the late 90s, they ended up zoning the valley for solitude. I mean, you can pack a lot more people in the valley if you developed it. There were companies that wanted to do that, increase the capacity with gondolas and things like that. Tom thinks the Park Service should just straight up discourage parking. Do You have to make reservations at some point. For example, they had to go to a reservation system for the people going up the cables on Hafto. 
because the crowding. To climb Half Dome, you have to enter a lottery to get a chance to go up it. Only 300 people can climb it daily. But the main issue here is that Yosemite Valley isn't set up in the same way as other state and national parks. Most tourists only encounter about 5% of Yosemite. Francesco Orsi says paying a premium to park closer could be a solution. If you come without the car, you pay less than a guy coming with a car. That would be not a, any, any form of punishment, but of course the fact that you should have people recognize that there is a cost associated with driving in a, in a park, and it's a social cost. Different fees for different modes. Francesco also likes the idea of online reservations to give park officials an idea of how many people and cars are coming each day. Tom thinks this idea could work, but might present a problem with equity. Boy, the national parks are really about sort of providing access to people of all incomes. So you run smack into equity issues as soon as you start doing that. I mean, you have the you have the Central Valley alongside of it where you have a lot of poverty. You know, the people who live in the Central Valley, they all use cars for everything. More than people in Los Angeles, even. And they have two or three cars, you know. Both Tom and Francesco like the idea of everyone parking outside Yosemite and taking shuttles in. There was even talks at one time, I don't know if, where those went, but there was talks of building parking underground. And that was radical. He's talking about parking beneath Yosemite Valley. And I'm certain that won't fly here. But the idea of leaving cars outside a park and shuttling in is something that's already being done at certain times of day in national parks like Zion. It's hard to, to believe that Yosemite or the Grand Canyon will see their numbers decline. So we have to do something. Uh, there's Because otherwise it's just, uh, you know, we're going to end up with huge crowds and, you know, uh, the, the total destruction of the, of, the, of the natural resources and the recreational experience, which is what people really care about. So let's face it, parking and congestion aren't really going to improve by a huge margin unless something drastic is done. And it's going to take a lot of cooperation and brain power from everyone from the federal government to local leaders. Until then, I think we're just going to have to deal with it. In episode three, we're going to have a little more fun now that we've got some of the serious topics out of the way. We're going rock climbing. I'll introduce you to three generations of climbers and learn how some of them went from being viewed as dirtbags to celebrities. And that's today's episode of Yosemite Land. We want to hear from you. Do you have an idea about how to remedy issues of traffic, congestion, and parking in Yosemite? If you do, send us an email or a voice memo with your idea, and it just might air in our final episode of the podcast. Yosemite Land is edited by Nick Miller. Sally Schilling is our podcast producer. Our digital editor is Chris Hagen. Linnea Edmire is the executive producer. Special thanks to Valley Public Radio for contributing to this podcast. Our theme song is Arizona Moon by Blue Dot Sessions. To make sure you don't miss any episodes, subscribe on Apple, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to rate and review us. See photos, maps, and more stories on our website, capradio.org slash yosemiteland. I'm your host, Ezra David Romero, with Capital Public Radio. Thank you for listening to Yosemite Land.